what kind of God do you have? Do you have a, uh, a genie in the bottle God? You know, you rub the bottle just right and poof, out pops God to do your bidding. Uh, or maybe you've got a, a kind old grandpa God. You know, it's just nice to sit on his lap and hear stories. He gives you money for candy, right? You know, great thing about going to granddad's house is it's just fun. There's no real expectations there of right and wrong. You just go there to have fun. Or, or maybe you've got kind of the opposite. You've got a cosmic cop for a God. You know, he's kind of hiding behind the corner waiting for you to break the law so he can come down on top of you. Or maybe your God is just up there hanging out. You're not really sure what he's doing. You kind of let him do his thing, you do your thing, and it'll all kind of work out in the end, right? And folks, you know, we have a lot of different views, a lot of different understandings of God. I would certainly hope that here in this room we have a little bit better view of God, a little bit more refined view of God than some of these. But, you know, I think even as believers, even as people who regularly open his word and try to understand who God is and what he's revealed about himself, if we're not careful, if we're not disciplined with our mind, we kind of get kind of a mix mosh of what's been revealed about God from his word and what's just how we like to think about God. What's just the way I like to understand God? What, what I believe about God? And the problem when we start mixing in our views of God, in essence, we become God. You say, well, how, how does that make me God if, I'm, if I've got ideas about God? Because God becomes the product of you. He, he becomes the product of your design. He becomes the product of your desires. He becomes the product of what you feel comfortable understanding about God you're now no longer worshiping the God who is you're worshiping the God of your creation and if he's your creation that makes you God doesn't it I know we do this how many times have you heard people say or maybe even you yourself have said well I could never worship a God who would you ever heard that you couldn't worship a God who would what not do what you would do not think like you think Do you realize in a statement like that, we're setting ourselves up as God. I'm the standard. You know, I've got such an involved sense of morality and intelligence. There's nothing higher than that. So if God is out there being something, doing something, acting in a way that doesn't fit inside of my lofty morality, doesn't fit inside my lofty intelligence, then that God owes me an explanation, right? I'm not comfortable with what God's doing. I'm not comfortable with that God. And so you see, our our view of God starts to dictate to him who he is and what he can be. He yields to us. He submits to us. Now, I don't know about you, and I think a lot of us would be the same. I don't need the God of my making, do you? I don't need the God of your making, for sure. I don't need the God of somebody else's making. Man, I need the God who is. But finding Living with, knowing the God who is, means I've got to stop making that God submit to what I like, to what I'm comfortable with, to what I like to think about God. And folks, the truth is, we do this. Even, even here in church, even when we open God's word, we can it open up and, and we can see things. We say, I'm not comfortable with that. I mean, you know, gosh, we can open up stories in the Bible and we see God send in Israel to to wipe out whole nations, kill men, women, and children. That's a lot like what we call genocide, isn't it? Is that God? Is that what God does? I'm not comfortable with God showing himself like that. How many times have you heard people ask questions or wonder, why would God make a hell? 
I'm not comfortable with the God of the Bible that, that makes a hell. Okay, so it's for the devil. But why do you make the devil? Gosh, that place, weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal, forever and ever and ever. We might have in, five, have in mind, uh, uh, you know, murderers that go there. Maybe you got one or two people in your life you're pretty sure should go there. But then we stop and think, now wait a minute, you, you, you mean you can lie and you can go there? Just a lie? I mean, lie is such a little thing. Is that, see what we're asking about God? Is that fair? God, are you right in that? Or we might even ask about Christ. I mean, gosh, God sends his son into the world to die on the cross. I mean, how does something somebody did 2,000 years ago, even if it was the most wonderful thing in the world, how's that supposed to affect me today? How does that act way back there supposed to have an impact on what I've done right or wrong in life? It doesn't sound very fair for Jesus, does it? And why, why, does, why does death, why does blood have to be the way sin is resolved? Why does that have to be the way that, that sin is reconciled? And I'm not saying these are your specific questions or my specific questions, but folks, I think there's illus- there are illustrations of that even as believers, we can open up our Bible and we can see things and say, you know, I'm, I don't understand that. I'm not comfortable with that. Or maybe we would even say, I don't like that listening to a pastor not too long ago by the name of Francis Chan that was kind of talking through and reasoning through some of these things. And I tell you, it resonated to me, it ministered to me, it helped me to realize, hey, I, I can have, if I'm not careful, these ideas floating around in the back of my mind where I'm saying, you know, God, I, I, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with, with what you are or with what you're doing. And if I'm not careful, I set myself up as God and He is to respond to me. He's to, to give explanation to me. And I set myself up as God. Do we ever stop and think, you know, maybe God's working with some more information than you are. Maybe God actually does have a higher sense of intelligence, a, a higher sense of morality than you have. Maybe, folks, what we need is to go ahead and get comfortable with a God that comes with a little mystery. God, that we can't always completely put into our little definition, our little box. He fits inside. Here's my God. He's cute. Have you seen him? He fits right inside here. I pull him out when I need him. That's how we treat God, isn't it? Maybe, maybe we need to answer the Bible's call to a childlike faith, a very simple faith that responds to not the God of my making, but to who God is and how he reveals himself. And I trust and I accept that. Instead of trying to recast God in my image. Instead of trying to recast God in, in, in the God-like form that makes me comfortable. I think we've all done this. And by the way, that recast, that, that's a lot like idolatry, isn't it? God says that's a sin. Don't recast me. Don't reshape me. Don't try to explain me in the way that you're comfortable. Explain me in how I've revealed myself and in who I am. What I want to do today, folks, is try to understand how clearly this is what we're doing and why we're doing that. We're going to do that today as we continue our study of Romans. Look with me this morning at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. I hope you'll grab one and, or have somebody hand it to you and study along with us. Romans, you'll find it right after the Gospels and Acts. Get to Corinthians or Galatians, you've gone too far. Romans chapter 1, we're looking at verses 18 to 23 
this morning. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. From the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense. And their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Now our passage today reveals two things about the God who is. And there are two things that mankind has mostly been uncomfortable with. Two things we don't necessarily like about God. One, God says, I am a God of wrath. The second thing he says, I am the creator God. Now, in these first three words of this passage, for God's wrath. Now, we just struggle with that, don't we? I I mean, we don't like that idea. Not not in our brand of Christianity, not in our time period, in our culture. There's been traditions. There's been parts of the faith times in history where, man, they, they were looking for a God who was throwing lightning bolts. They were looking for a God who was bringing down wrath. But our, our way of doing Christianity, not so much. We don't, we don't really like a God of wrath. That, that almost embarrasses us out in society. And so when one of those crazy preachers gets on TV and starts talking about that was God's judgment, we, we just flee in terror. Oh, no, no, no. We got we to gotta, know God's really kind. He's really gentle like a big teddy bear. You know, he, he's not that way. That, that preacher is just crazy. We've done this. We do this when, when the preacher gets on there and acts that way. And Folks, to be honest with you, I'm uncomfortable with that sometimes. There's times when I hear, whether it's a preacher or somebody else, calling out God's wrath, God's judgment, that I'm not comfortable with that. You know what, man? You know what AIDS is? AIDS is God's judgment against the homosexuals. You know what that tornado was? You know what that hurricane was? That was God's judgment against that city, against that nation. Now, it might have been. That that may be very well what's going on. I'm not saying that's what I disagree with or that's what I'm uncomfortable with. What I'm uncomfortable with is the person who stands up and states that as if they know it is a fact. The Scripture says we're to actually be careful interpreting events as being of God. As a matter of fact, a group of people come to Jesus and they said, Hey, did you hear the news? Did you hear about this, this neighboring town? They had this tower fall over. It killed these people. Was that God's judgment? Another time they come to Jesus. Hey, there's this guy over here who's born blind. What, was he born that way because of his sin or because his parents' sin? And in both cases, Jesus said it wasn't anybody's sin. That, that, that's not what's going on there. That's not what that's about. Now, folks, sin does have consequences. Sin does bring judgment. That is what happens. But not necessarily every time we see something wrong, something suffering, something hurtful, something we wouldn't want, does it always mean that is a direct result of somebody's sin, that that's a direct result of God's judgment. So the Scripture says, be careful about the way you interpret that. 
And there's just something about, the, you know, pointing out there and saying, that's God's judgment. Have you always noticed people do that almost seem a little bit excited? That makes me uncomfortable. I, I don't see God excited about judgment and wrath. He actually says, I have no desire to see people perish. I have no desire to see people in hell. He doesn't get excited about that. So, so why would we? And, you know, I know why we get excited about it, actually. Because, see, when I get to point out the suffering in your life that's bringing God's judgment, it's because you're so guilty. And by the way, I, you know, that didn't hit me, so I must be innocent. You know, it proclaims my innocence because none of these things are happening to me. I mean, can, the, can, the, can Northeast America and Northwest America, can they say, man, we, we must be feeling pretty good. We're pretty innocent. We're pretty right before God. I, I mean, God didn't hammer us with tornadoes this spring like he did the Southeast. Clearly, the Southeast is under the judgment of God. But the Northeast and Northwest can feel pretty good. Is that what's happening there? You see why the Bible's saying, be careful how you get all caught up in interpreting events and, and what's happening there. I think what the Bible actually says is, I tell you what, why don't you just get out of the judgment business altogether and deal with the what? The log that's in your own eye. Now, having said all that, folks, God judges sin. And there are things going on right here in the world today that is the direct result of God bringing judgment against an individual sin, a community sin, a, a city, a nation sin. God does do this. what the passage says to us right here. God reveals His wrath. And we struggle with that. And I think part of the reason we struggle with that is because our concept, our definition of wrath, I don't know about you, but when I think of somebody displaying wrath, I almost think of like a rabid animal, don't you? Somebody whose anger is out of control, they're, they're just spewing, they're violent, they're angry, and they're, they're just, you know, killing people, they're just tearing things up. That's what I think of when I think of wrath, that's such a, a harsh word. Folks, wrath is an attribute of God. But none of God's attributes work alone. None of God's attributes stand alone. When God moves forward to be who God is, all of His attributes move with Him. So when He is displaying, when He is demonstrating His wrath, His justice is right there, lock and step. When God is displaying wrath, it is because at that moment and in that situation, that is the most just and the most right thing to do. Not a just thing to do, not a right thing to do, the most perfect and just thing to do in that moment is for him to display wrath when God's wrath is being displayed guess what's right there in lock and step his love you know what love forgives doesn't it love has grace love gives a second chance love is patient but folks that love never gives that second chance it never shows grace it's never patient because it wants to make a path for evil does it is it love to want wrong is it love to want, to want wrong to multiply and to continue and to run unchecked? No, folks, love demands that the right thing be done. That The word for wrath here literally means an upsurge. God's love will lead to an upsurge against what is evil and what is wrong. So, I'm sitting here today, I may not like the idea of thinking about a God of wrath. May not be comfortable with that idea. May not like that idea. But as God reveals Himself, I think about all that Scripture teaches and I realize I put my faith, my confidence in whatever that wrath is, God's probably doing that with a lot more knowledge than I have. 
And as he displays that wrath, he is doing it justly. He is doing it lovely. It is the perfect thing to do in that moment. Folks, God's wrath is terrifying. I believe the scripture would have you to be terrified of God's wrath. But his wrath is also controlled. His wrath is also purposeful. His wrath is also just. So when the scripture says he's a God of wrath, I don't let my discomfort or my lack of understanding about that erase it, brush it away, try to recast it. I trust it for who he is. I trust it for what scripture says. Now the second thing this passage says is that he is the God who creates. He's the creator God. Humanity has not been comfortable with that idea. And it's not because of science. It's not because of what's happened in the last hundred years and evolution and Big Bang. And boy, science has just brought us to this place. We just cannot believe in a creator God. Folks, science has never given a shred of evidence, never given anything that in any way, shape or form even remotely leads somebody to the conclusion there can't possibly be a God. They're just, with the data that we have, there cannot be a God. There's nothing like that in science. But rather, people who do not want to believe in God, people who want to reject the idea of a creator, move into science and manipulate the data so they can have high-sounding reasons for rejecting the creator. Now, a lot of us in here would say, well, yeah, that's what they've done out there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uncomfortable with a creator God. That's what we would say in here, isn't it? And yeah, I believe God created the world in six days. You know, believe He made the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the fish, the, the birds, created you and me. I'm not, I'm not uncomfortable with that. I can accept that part of God. Yeah, we accept that part, but do we accept its conclusion? See, we might be comfortable saying, I believe God created, but are we comfortable with what that means? Because if He created, that means He owns me. That means He owns this planet. It means I'm obligated to them and folks that's what we rebel against we rebel against the natural the logical conclusion of a creator god that i have to respond to him i don't want to respond to him i'm i'm the master of my own ship i i, I kind of like doing what i wanted i own this day i own this body i'll go and that what a lot of people are interpreting our constitution to say I own this. I'm going where I want to go. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm in control. And I don't have to answer to anybody. I'm not obligated to anybody. I don't have to answer for what I've done in life. I don't like that. That's what we rebel against. And folks, it's, it's not just the big, bad, evil crowd out there that does that. We do that too. We rebel against that idea of a creator God. And it's not because of science. As a matter of fact, we use this verse a lot, Romans 1.20, don't we? When we're talking about creation and evolution and debating science. I, I think Paul, kind of what Paul's doing here is saying, what, you think we need, to, we need to come up with a scientific debate for the world? You know what Paul's saying right here? Hey, listen, the least educated person on the planet can walk outside and put the data together. There's a God. It takes a lot more faith to believe there's no God. It takes a lot more faith to just believe it all happened. Man, we walk outside and clearly the data suggests that somebody put this here. Somebody eternal. That's why, right? Eternal. The uncaused cause. Uh, the thing, the person, the power that put it all together, that got everything rolling. And as I look around, we see order and we design. This God's an artist. 
This God's detailed and intricate. I mean, he puts little dots on the smallest petals of a flower. On the fish that aren't even rarely even seen. He's painting them. He's an artist. He's beautiful. He's powerful. He's strong. He's orderly. He's relational. He's purposeful. The data is out there. You have to be a fool. Well, that's what it says, doesn't it? You have to be a fool to not see this. This is not about winning scientific debates. Paul says there's no science that suggests anything differently. You say, well, what does this suggest? What, what is this passage telling us? You put these two things together. He's a God of wrath. He's a, a God who creates. What it says, folks, is there's a way to live. There's a way to live whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, and you will have to answer for it. Oh, that just kind of bristles in us. Whew. Somebody telling me what I have to do, telling me I'm going to have to answer for it. That is what we rebel against. It's never been about science. No, it tells us what it is. It's not science that leads us to rebel. It's godlessness and unrighteousness. That's why we rebel against a creator God. Now, when I say we, I keep saying we, don't we? Like we're all in here rebelling against God. When I say we, we're talking about humanity. Humanity as a whole, which last I checked, you and I are a part of humanity. Now, we get a chance through Christ to be rescued from humanity, don't we? We, we get a chance to be rescued from this status of godlessness and unrighteousness through the person of Christ. But folks, without Christ, that's our status. We are godless and we are unrighteous. That word godless... The, the, the root of that word is a picture of shrinking back. And, and in the Greek language, an A is put in front of it. In the, in the English language, it's a U-N, ungodless, or, or ah-godless. It's without God. In other words, the picture is, when I come into the presence of God, I don't shrink back. What's that? That's a lack of reverence, isn't it? It's a lack of, of respect. When I'm in the power, when I'm in the presence of God, I don't shrink back. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of this. There's, there's no respect there. And because there's godlessness, then the next step is unrighteousness. They go hand in hand. Because I don't respect God, because I don't revere God, then obviously I'm not going to do what He says. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I break His law. And we kind of downplay that. Oh, nobody's perfect. Oh, what? I didn't, you know, jump through the hoops like the circus master wanted me to. You know, we kind of make obeying rules kind of almost, you know, pedantic and childish. Why do we have to obey rules? But folks, these rules are not an arbitrary set of ideas that God came up with to see if you could get into heaven. The, these rules are expressions of who he is, of his character. You've heard me say this before. God says, don't lie because he's, he's truth. That's who he is. He says, don't murder because he's life. He says, don't be unfaithful to your mate, not with your eyes, not with your heart, not with your body, because he's what? He's faithfulness. He's trustworthiness. So folks, when we sin, the little ones, the big ones, and all the different ways we classify them, whatever the sin is, when we commit that sin, we are rebelling against the character of God. We are attacking the character of God. To sin is to show contempt for God. And you know what? Our body's not going to like that. We get these little things going on inside us called guilt. Oh, I don't want to feel guilty. I don't have to respond to him. I don't have to live for him. Give glory to him. I don't have to give thanks to him. I don't want to give thanks. If I give thanks, that means I'm beholding to somebody. 
Uh, that means somebody did something that, that I'm more because of them. I, I don't need anybody like that. I don't want to give thanks. By the way, doesn't that say something about the importance of gratitude? Doesn't that say something about the importance of the discipline that you and I should have to daily? I actually believe, folks, you shouldn't walk a day on this planet without giving thanks to God. It acknowledges that He's God and He's done good in your life. We are to give thanks. But we, we don't want to feel those feelings of guilt. So what does the passage says? It says we suppress the truth. We put it in a box. We put the lid on it. The lid's popping open. We sit on the lid. You know, I don't want this truth getting out. I, I, I don't want to be made to feel guilty. I don't want to be told I have to, to respond to somebody. So we suppress the truth by becoming a fool. That word for fool there is a word you're familiar with. In the Greek language, it sounds like this, moron. Do you know that every time you, say, you go to work tomorrow and say, I've been studying Greek for a while. Here, here's a Greek word. You're a moron. Yeah, you just, it's, that's the Greek word, moron. Now, we use that word kind of casually. Ah, oh, you're an idiot. Ah, oh, you're a stupid. You're a moron. It's actually a very significant word in the Greek language. To, to be moronic was to be mentally sluggish. And the result of being mentally sluggish was not that you could not do your math homework. It's not that you couldn't come up with the right answer. It was a mental sluggishness that produced moral worthlessness. That's what the word moron means in the Greek language. There was a tie between being mentally lazy and your understanding of morality. Folks, the word moron is a description of the United States of America. I don't want to get all caught up in right and wrong. I don't want to hammer out what's right and what's wrong. Man, just live and let live. Let, let each person kind of decide for themselves. I mean, why do you have to be all up in somebody's business? What difference does it make to you how they live or what they do or what makes them happy? Let's not get all caught up thinking through that. I want to remain mentally vague. I want to remain mentally lazy. And it will produce a moral worthlessness, a moral emptiness in our society. We became fools. Now folks, Paul wrote this passage 1950 years ago. Man, we've gotten a lot smarter since then, haven't we? Man, we've been to the moon you know, my phone's more powerful than the first computer I bought back in 1980-something. I mean, we've really advanced medicine and science and technology and communication, just standard of living. I mean, we're brilliant, except for the fact we're just bone stupid. I mean, don't we? You know, Paul ends this passage and he's talking here about, you know, they started worshiping images that resembled man and birds and forefoot. You know, we look at that, we say that that was a superstitious time in, in humanity, wasn't it? They worshiped the sun, they worshiped the moon, they carved out images of animals. We think of some remote tribe out there that, you know, that's never gotten any education. But we've advanced all that. I mean, we realize now you don't, you don't have to come up with a God who created everything. You don't have to come up with a God who designed. Science has given us all of our answers now. And folks, claiming intelligence and enlightenment, we're just doing the exact same thing they did 2,000 years ago. We're moving from seeking a creator to worshiping some aspect of creation. In the United States of America, the number one false god is the earth. We worship the earth in this country. Science has now for a hundred years demanded that we come to the belief that it is the earth that produced me. It is the earth that sustains me. And it is the earth that I owe glory. 
that I live for. It's the earth that I owe gratitude and acknowledge. And you say, well, that, that, not all of America is doing that. Folks, that's our God in America today. Try running a business without being green. Try not feeling guilty. Remember the first hybrid commercials that came out and the little kid was supposed to go home and say, Mom, Dad, why don't we have a hybrid? You know, Mom and Dad, feel guilty if you don't do this. Mom and Dad, you're an outcast. Why, guilt and outcast? Those are good old-fashioned religious words, aren't they? That's right, because we worship the earth with a religious fervor. We have a science that has produced a God for us. The earth created me. And we have a political machine that demands we come and worship at the altar of the earth. And folks, I'm not against taking care of the earth. The earth was created by God and given to us as a gift. We should manage it and care for it well. That has nothing to do with what the green movement is about and what they're doing. Folks, we're no different than these people bowing down to carved bugs and snakes and worshiping the sun. We're not a bit different with all of our intelligence. That's what it says right there. Claiming intelligent. Look how smart I am. Look how advanced I am. Look how enlightened I am. And I create, I worship something else that's created just like me when I know there's no way this, this carved bug could have put the sun in its place. There's no way whatever aspect of creation I'm worshiping could have done all this. And yet we think we're smart because we've arrived at that conclusion. Why did we arrive at that conclusion? Because I don't want somebody telling me how to live. So what, is this, what does this passage lead us to? What do I do with these two things? And obviously, folks, the scripture reveals lots of things we're to know about who he is and what he's like. But these two things. There is a God. Who created all things. There is a God who will show wrath. Folks, it calls on us to check what God we're following. It calls on us to check what God are we worshipping. Am I worshipping the God who is? Or am I worshipping the God of my design, my comfort, and my making? And folks, every one of us, if we're not careful, we can end up doing that. We can mix our... Well, I know the Bible said this with things like, I think. The Bible says this. I think the Bible said God's not really angry about sin. God's not really wrath. No, nobody's really going to hell. I think the, the Bible says that somewhere. Folks, if you go out in the workplace tomorrow and have a conversation with ten believers, I bet seven or eight of them would say what I just said. I don't think God says that. I don't think the Bible says that. What God are you worshiping? What God are you following? Because see, not only do I need to make sure that I'm choosing the God who is, but I need to realize there's a consequence for not doing that. The Scripture reveals to me a God that is incredibly loving, incredibly patient, and He will give me chance after chance after chance. As a matter of fact, knowing that all of my chances are not going to add up to anything, He sent His Son to pay the penalty for all my mistakes, all my sins. He sent His Son to give me the chance that would actually work. The chance that would actually last. It's all grace. But if you choose not to go with the Creator God, you need to understand you will find the wrath of God. There is a consequence. You're not the last say. Whether you're comfortable with it, whether you can explain it, or whether you like it or not, you're not the last say in how things are going to be determined. God is. 
So whose way are you going to follow this week? You should think about that every day. When I do this, am I following the God who is? Or am I following the God of my making who really doesn't care about sin that much? He's not that bothered by sin that much. I can keep doing this. Because there's no real consequence. Why would there be God showing me his wrath unless there's a consequence, folks? Now what we're going to do is we're going to come back next week. We're going to take on the rest of chapter 1. And you know what we're going to see? We're going to see what it looks like when man says, No, I'm going to go ahead and go with what I got. I'm not going to go with the God who is. I'm going to keep going with this idea that I'm God, that, that creation is God. And we're going to see where that naturally leads, where that's going to end up in our lives. And I believe the data will scream to us, there's a God. And our best opportunity in life is to seize him, the God who is. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you that, that you have not left me to my own design to figure things out. But God, in your grace, in your kindness, in your wisdom, you've shown me. You've told me. You tell me things because you do love me. You tell me you're a God of wrath. Because what you want for me is to enjoy the God of love and the God of blessing. Lord, I pray that as I walk through, as we walk through this week ahead, we really evaluate where my ideas and thoughts about God are coming from. Can I tie them directly to what He's revealed in Scripture? Or have I been moronic? Have I been mentally sluggish? Not really disciplining myself. Kind of, you know, taking a potpourri ideas of you, God. So that I can have the God I'm comfortable with. And the God who doesn't challenge how I'm living and the decisions I'm making. Lord, may we choose the path of you because it's so good. It is the path of light. It is the path of life. It is the path of love and blessing. All that you have for us. And I thank you for Jesus that makes that possible. Lord, may we realize that without him, we are so die hard committed to living for self, for glorifying self. And you come and you pay the penalty for all the times that I showed contempt for who you were. Jesus, you came and you cleaned all that up so that I could move from a status of being unrighteous to being righteous. Lord, may we live like it. May we live like it. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen.